Hello and welcome to the Analytic Show, the podcast of business through the lines of data science. But together, we'll dive into learning and sharing where various industries are heading and how data and analytics is at the heart of shaping business growth and productivity. Let's spark different ways of thinking about data and analytics that is relevant to you and prepare your business for future disruption. I'm your host, Jason Tan. I'm delighted you could make it on this journey with us. Hey guys, to continue to get support, tips, techniques, and tools, and learn from the expert, hit that subscribe button wherever you are so we can keep in touch and continue our lifelong learning together. So, are you using your company data to its full potential? Take our embedded analytic assessment to find out your score. A leading organization like Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google have moved beyond dashboard and embedded data science directly into their daily business operation. With our three-minute test, you will discover your potential in optimizing customer experience and revenue through embedded analytics. You will gain greater clarity, insight, and advice to embed analytics. Plus, you will receive customized results instantly. Find the link to this assessment in the description of this episode. Hey, Michaela, welcome to the Analytic Show. I'm so excited to talk with you uh, across Thank the you. city. Um, well, you are in the city. I'm working from home today, but we are all in Brisbane. Super excited to talk to you about the uh, some of the works that you do in the view of the data science and the engagement. How are you today? <laughs> I'm great. And it's amazing. Um, like Brisbane, you know, we're still just country town, but in terms of data and AI, there's some amazing stuff going on in Brisbane. Um, I think, is it uh, Max Kelson is um, an AI company yeah. just doing crazy global stuff. Um, yeah. And uh, so I, I think it's great. There's a lot of talented people here. It's really exciting. I can imagine. I have heard a lot of uh, great things about, about them. Uh, I also know a number, a number of companies here in Brisbane doing some really, really exciting things. Now, before we start talking about some of these uh, exciting stuff, I learned that you are actually into the triathlon uh, a little bit. Uh, you are starting, you are, you are doing a lot of those things. Would you want to share a little bit more about that? Uh, the the non-professional side of the world <laughs> with the listener? Sure. So my triathlon is very non-professional. Uh, I started almost three years ago um, mm. and I, I was actually getting over a broken heart and um, I thought this would be good something good to do to occupy my mind I'm not a natural athlete I didn't know how to ride a bike and um, so I thought this would be a good way to sort of uh, meet some people in Brisbane because I'd moved back from Melbourne and uh, extend my skills and uh, you know as I was saying before it it's, was a really interesting thing to, to start at the bottom of something to be really bad at it but to front mm -hmm. up every single day to do the training and to find myself getting strong it was a really nice way to balance the you know very cerebral you know parts of our job that we do for so much time every day yeah and you are now doing that for quite a bit have you joined any of the uh, triathlon uh, event those sort of thing what what is what has been your favorite one so far 
<laughs> sure. So yeah, you, you you do events all the time because it's the only thing that that motivates you to to turn up to training at you know four thirty in the morning or you know after work. Um, and so I've done lots of different distances. It starts at the sprint triathlon, which is quite um, short. Um, I've done an Olympic distance, done a few of those, but the big mm. thing for me was last year was the half Ironman, yeah. uh, and that's a 1.9k swim in crocodile-infested waters in Cairns, 90k bike, and then a half marathon, which is 21.1k in the searing heat. So, um, and it, it looked a huge milestone for me. Again, someone who's not a natural athlete, um, which goes to show you put in the work, you show up consistently, you can do this stuff. You won't be the best. You might be the worst, but you'll get it done. <laughs> I think that feel like is almost very similar to if I were to bring that whole what you just described that lesson into the work setting. I think from time to time, I feel like we always have to, uh, have to put up throw ourselves into something new, especially you know the world of the technology, data analytics, data science that is moving so fast that uh, the opener literally just changed the way that we think about this whole thing. We almost feel like we have to constantly pick up something new, even though uh, we we are not so familiar with that. How, yes. how do you find that learning or that lesson that you were, you when you were doing all these things new into this work setting that you could share with, with your team? I think it's definitely about resilience and, um, you know, being bad at something, but continuing to try. And then, you know, you start to build the skills. And I think that's the same in our mm -hmm. careers. Um, and also, I think the, the stress of what we do in data and analytics, you know, a lot of us are pioneering new roads. You know, we're doing things that haven't been done before, haven't been done often. Um, and that can be really stressful in a corporate environment where people don't really understand what you're doing. So I think the resilience of, um, you know, uh, you're used to a lot of pain, so suddenly the pain of the corporate world doesn't seem so bad, if, mm. if that if that sounds okay. Um, but you know, also a long run is a great time to work out a business problem. You know, if you're doing a twenty or thirty k run on the weekend, you've got a lot of hours ahead of you to uh, just think, and your brain works differently. And sometimes you can make connections that really help in the workplace. I can imagine, and and uh, that that actually is a good transition. Uh, the, some of the things that I'm going to uh, ask you, I noticed that um, when I was doing the research about this podcast interview, I noticed that you have been moving uh, across different industry, uh, across different company, and doing different kinds of things. That is very similar to what we have just discussed, like how um, if so, so, things are so different uh, in all of these different roles. My question then is, how have you found that experience to be helpful for what you are currently doing and a lot of the things that you are responsible for? Um, so do you mean my experience of moving around different companies, how that's yeah. helped my current role? Yep. Yeah. Um, yes. So, um, so I currently work for Bendigo Bank, mm -hmm. um, which is an awesome organization and I'm not just saying it I mean you got to say it wherever you were but they are really great I've I've worked for a bunch of banks and Bendigo's got a really great culture um it, sorry 
do, do you want to talk, uh, give a Benigo Bank a shout out for the listener who are from overseas? And then oh, we'll, right. dive, we'll dive back into this. <laughs> that was sure. Question. Should I? Uh, should I talk about the Bendigo Bank? <laughs> uh, so Bendigo Bank uh, isn't just in Bendigo, um, and it, it's a bunch of banks, in fact, that have merged together. Um, I think is it the sixth largest bank in Australia, um, and it, it, it's got this unusual model where it's um, got established branches, but it also has a community bank model where um, we link with with an area that may not have thought they could have a bank and the communities come together to build their own bank and, and Bendigo supports them to get up and running. Um, and um, and then they have sort of a profit split once the community branch is up and running. And um, Bendigo also um, donates money into their community for like a sporting event or something like that. So it's, um, it's, it's very community minded and obviously it needs to be profitable to keep going, but it's really about supporting communities and not trying to profit off communities. So mm -hmm. um, th th that provides a workplace culture where people are quite purpose driven um, as opposed to just profit driven, got to get my bonus, got to stab mm -hmm. my mate in the back. Um, so you know, that that's quite, um, you know, it is, it's, it's a great supportive culture um, and there's a lot of opportunity there in terms of, um, you know, we're not as advanced, particularly in our data and analytics. So there's a lot of opportunity to, to get up to speed. Um, and I th think that's my experience in a whole bunch of industries and organisations has really shown me a lot of failure in, in other organisations. And so I'm able to come in and say, you know, I, I know this way has been tried a few times, it doesn't work. Let, let's try this way that is more successful. Um, mm -hmm. I can also say to people, this stuff is hard. Don't feel despondent that, you know, you're trying to build a strategic data platform or you're trying to implement data governance and, and it's taking time. Yes, this stuff is really hard and feel proud that you've gotten to where you are and, and mm -hmm. here's some steps to get you a little bit further. So um, I, I feel that, that, you know, that's the sort of experience that I can bring to Bendigo Bank and God bless them. They're, you know, happy to hear my ideas and and support me in that. Right, right. Now, I think that was a couple of things that I actually really want to dive a little bit deeper. But before that, I, I want um, to, to ask you and set up the, the, the this narrative um, about your role. Can you tell us a little bit more about your current role as the head of data, uh, head of data strategy and engagement at the Benico and Adelaide Bank? Yes. So I'm part of um, a team that's only been together for about a year, the Group Data Office. Mm. Uh, so I report into the Chief Data Officer, Ian Jackman, who is fantastic. Um, so uh, I think I've worked for about eight or nine Chief Data Officers and, and I've seen a lot of them walked out the door um, <laughs> and they, most of them, the majority don't last for a long time. Um, so my view is a big part of my role is, you know, supporting the CDO and, and making him or her successful. Um, but so my role is uh, about, there's sort of three parts to it. Um, you know, I'm a, a helping evolve and um, execute the data strategy. Um, and a big part of that is is building that data-driven culture. Um, and, and, and uplifting data literacy as well and, and helping um, particularly senior leadership 
um, understand the art of the possible. I've found in other organisations, particularly the executives, and I hope I don't hurt anyone's feelings, but um, often, you know, they've been in their career for a long time and they haven't built their career on being data literate or data savvy. Mm. Um, and some of them are, you, you'll get a few, but a lot of them are probably more like data dinosaurs. And so you'll say, look, we, we need to implement these capabilities and they'll nod, but deep down they don't really believe it because, you know, they've, they've done things in a different way and this is a seismic shift. And for a lot of them, it, it's quite terrifying. So helping them to understand that art of the possible. They don't need to know how to code. They don't need to know what's under the hood, but they need to know how critical it is that these new technologies are coming up and are going and are already incredibly disruptive, like ChatGPT. And you, it's like the the bank that decide to stick with the typewriter and not move to a computer. They're no longer around, and it's the same with yeah. being data driven. You have to embrace this stuff. So that's going to that's you know a big part of of my role. Um, as well, I'm the product owner for the new strategic data platform. Um, so, you know, we're um, moving to cloud and introducing a whole lot of uh, new capabilities around that. Um, and that really, that role is very much linked to the culture and literacy role because you can't just move a culture. You move a culture by demonstrating what it means to be data-driven and, and, and by demonstrating the value of this. So those two are very much interlinked. And the um, other part of what I do is around evolving our data management um, maturity as mm. well. So there's sort of, you know, there's a bunch of things, but I, I feel that they're very much interlinked um, because they're underpinned by getting the business to do something different to what they did before. Right. I love it. Now, I want to go back to what you were describing, you know, um, working across different kinds of different industry, working across different kinds of the business. What was the one thing that you commonly see that the, the business were failing in one way or another to really achieve these, uh, the data-driven organization, data-driven culture? Well, it has been talked so much, but what what is what is that common reason that see people seem to be still failing in not to be able to achieve that? I actually don't think the fault lies with the business. Mm. I think it lies with the tech and data teams delivering the capabilities, and that is that they're not taking the business people into account. Um, yeah. So I work with a lot of very technical people, a lot of very brilliant data. Um, and ML folk, and they are brilliant, but um, th th not all of them have that ability to engage with the business to really understand their needs. They come at everything with a tech focus, which is normal because that's their area of expertise. Mm -hmm. um, and just like the business comes in with a very business focus, and I'm and my team are uh, the, the branch in between. So I think the failure has been the, the business has got plenty of problems that can be solved mm. and a lot of them really want these problems to be solved in a data-driven way but they're not getting the support from the tech teams that they need to they're um you know if i think about uh and this this doesn't apply to one company this applies to every single company i've ever worked for is the tech team will have one conversation with the business and it'll be like oh you want a model to reduce churn great the tech and data people run off 
They don't talk to the business people again for six months. They come back with this model. Meanwhile, the business, they've got sick of waiting. They've gone and gotten consultants. They've built their own model. It might be substandard. You know, it's probably on someone's laptop, but it's better than nothing. Meanwhile, mm. the tech team say, look, we've got this model for you. And the business is like, well, I can't use it. It doesn't fit in with my systems. It no longer meets the KPIs I have. We've got someone else to do it. You took too long. All those things um, because they haven't kept the business front and centre. Um, yeah. And it, it's really easy to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're being business focused. But you're not unless you're representing the business pretty much at every decision. And it doesn't mean you need to have a business person at every meeting. But every time you make a big decision about what direction you're heading in, whether it's around data governance or a capability or a new tool, if you're not thinking about what the business wants, you're just assuming that's where things go wrong. And that's one of my triggers. Every time I hear someone say, oh, I assume the, the business do it this way, I go, you've got to stop. You've got to find out right now. Because you might be right, but you might be wrong. That's so true. I think getting the business to be engaged is important. But I also strongly believe and I always encourage the technical team to actually understand the business and to yes. understand the customer. How do you think we can encourage the technical people to do that more and to understand those more? I mean, I mean, building the model is exciting, doing the ML is exciting, but if that doesn't solve the problem of the business or the customer, might as well not deal with it. But how do you think, in your experience, what are some of the tricks that you, you would have to, to get them to do those things? So there's two things I can think of, and um, I've taken data scientists out to do this in the past, so I know it works. One is, uh, you know, if you're in a big organisation, business units tend to have like roadshows. They talk about their strategy and, and what they're doing. You know, as a, a data person or technical person can show up to that business unit town hall roadshow and find out what what is their strategy? What are their KPIs? Mm. Or they can read a document. So that's the first thing is understand what is this business trying to do? What are their pain points? Yeah. It's on a piece of paper or it's at a town hall. And I tell you what, if you're a data scientist, you go to your retail bank town hall and you go up to the head of retail bank, they're going to be really excited to see you. Um, and the second way is to sit with someone who is likely to use the insights from a model, but sit with them to see what they do in their day jobs. Mm. So um, I took, uh, when I was at Suncorp, took the senior data scientist out to sit in a branch for the day. And he was just truly shocked, but he saw, what the branch manager had to do in terms of just purely reporting and 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 how clunky it was. So suddenly there's a mindset shift of um, these people don't necessarily need a big whiz bang model. They need their data fixed up for them just to help them do their job. So um, it's sort of you know you hear about oh you've got to go spend time with the business and I know again technical people don't want to do it, but you can go in. With, with those guardrails of I'm trying to find out about your strategy right. or I'm trying to actually see what is your work process now that you think we can help with. And if you're going with that rather than just sitting with a call centre person all day, you, you're going to get the learnings that you need to get. Mm. Now, I'm going to flip this coin to the other side. How can we get business to be more involved with the data, guys? And yeah. So that they, oh, they understand what are the possible what 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 are the things that are entirely possible that they have never thought of because 
they don't know what they don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think um, I think everyone needs to be responsible to become data literate, and and whatever that means for them. So um, I know in the past I've encouraged people to do. Um, there's a great course on Coursera. I think it's called Introduction to AI, and it's pitched at senior people who don't want to learn how to code, and and that that's been really helpful for senior people that that know that they want to have some kind of ML to support them but aren't sure where to start. So that can give people a a good practical level of data literacy, mm. um, and so I think it is beholden upon business people to to learn a, a little bit and yeah, there's just so many you know online seminars now yeah. where people are showing what they do and you know you can talk to pretty much anyone on LinkedIn say oh hi I see you've done this can I talk to you about it and they'll come and talk to you and your team people are really love to talk it's fantastic so so there is that but again I think you know a group data office um, can help the business by organizing guest speakers, you know, having a thought yep. leadership series, come and hear so-and-so from an overseas energy company about how they maximized energy production with wind turbines, you know, and, and start helping them understand and, and someone that speaks their language but can, can start that bridge to the, the data-driven world. Right. I think that whole, um, I think both sides really have to do something where the data yeah. guy really have to champion about they, they literally have to go around the organization and champion about themselves about what they can do and also i think sometimes it's not necessarily about suggesting the solution but also it's more about talking about the possibility of what other people have already done within yes. outside organization to spark that whole idea is that the right way to put that? Is that what you were suggesting? Exactly. It's, it's sparking the ideas. Because these mm. senior business people, they're, they're super smart. And if one of their peers from another company is doing something, it will spark a whole bunch of ideas. It doesn't have to be the same idea, but it will get exactly. them thinking. Um, I know this isn't exactly a business data linkage, but, um, you know, the, one, the, the first chief data officer I worked for, he would admit that he wasn't super technical, but he made it his business to sit with the chief data scientist I don't know, once a fortnight, once a month to just pepper him with questions. And again, I think that was really smart because you know, he's got a PhD here and he can just find out stuff. You know, can we do this? And what does this mean? And what's Kubernetes? And is that even important? So, um, you know, that, that kind of, you know, reverse mentoring maybe with, um, a data scientist or you know someone very data savvy to to ask them questions and float your ideas but i think that is the important part and that is the part where sometimes i feel like we are ignoring where sometimes we can be spending too much time talking about all this data that model that ai or this cloud platform and then the business at the same time talking about all these customer problems but then how do you really bring that together? It really comes down to about that whole organization understanding and also the human nature understanding that how do you get two people to, to talk together? I think that's, that is actually, that is even more important than just 
those two things because if, if they don't come together, none of those things will actually happen. Yeah, well, that's that's why I get to be employed because I'm, you know, that's my area of expertise is, is helping the business people, uh, you know, articulate their problems in a way where the tech people can develop a tech solution to deliver that, but also to start upskilling the tech people in being able to have those same conversations, to give them mm -hmm. certain tools where that will guide a conversation so that mm -hmm. they can, you know, articulate that business problem and knowing the capabilities they've got is, is how do we reuse them to help the business. Absolutely. So, um, I, you know, I've got I've got a great tool which we can share with the audience after called the Wheel of Clarity. It's a stupid name, but you know it's a series of questions um, that, again, before you, you know, do a business case on a big piece of work, you make sure you sit down with the business and the tech team so everyone is on the same page of what you're doing and why and and how is this going to be used? Um, because often that's that last piece of you know, if you're building a model, how are the insights going to be used? Who's going to use them? How are we going to know it's successful? Everyone seems to forget about that until the model's built. And that's where, um, mm. you know, people can fall at that last hurdle. They've spent a huge amount of money and time um, and, and sheer brilliance building a fantastic model that can really make the organisation a lot of money. But there's no way of getting those insights into the hands of the people that can use them because they haven't thought about it up front. Hey guys, I got something really exciting from my friend at the Australian Computer Society uh, to share with you. Now, ACS, they are going to run a Queensland State uh, Tech Summit for the 2023. And I think this is a really, really good opportunity to network with some of the brightest minds in the industry. But also, more importantly, I think here's some of the ground success story and the example from the Queensland Tech uh, professional. But the event is going to take place on the 26th May of 2023 at Cloudland 43. Now, this is a lovely place for those of you who have been there. Now, the previous event is really a perfect opportunity for those the, uh, technology enthusiasts to come together to learn from some of the industry experts. I know some of my friends actually is going to be there and speak and share their idea and uh, experience. So I highly, highly recommend that. Uh, to, to, to join this event. Now, with a diverse range of speakers, including some of the top leaders in the tech industry, so you really can expect to gain insight on topics like the cybersecurity, uh, local approach to the inclusive tech leadership, local gaming technology, obviously data, analytic AI, and uh, also really interesting is the uh, the, the space technology and for those who, who, who are not familiar in Queensland we actually have quite a few of uh, uh, prominent uh, space startup uh, in, in Queensland so uh, and obviously with more to come so uh, but that's not all I think that is also excited to announce that we also have some uh, photo booth uh, where you can really get your headshot for your LinkedIn profile uh, taken for you on the day now, this is really, really important um, or useful, especially if you are active on LinkedIn and to showcase the best of you uh, on LinkedIn for your potential employer or, 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 or customer if you are doing a lot of uh, business development work. Now, finally, uh, that is also opportunity to explore some of the uh, skills for the table and uh, also network with your uh, 
fellow attendee. Now register today for early bird tickets. And if you are not an ACS uh, member, use the promotional code of the analytic show uh, listener um, is ACSTAS. Um, I repeat again, ACSTAS at the registration page to save $125 of the event ticket and join us at the ACS Queensland State Summit 2022. So I look forward to seeing that. If you have any questions, I'll just give you a shout out or give uh, ACS a shout out. I will share the discount code on the uh, the the LinkedIn posts are also in the email as well. See you there. Bye. How do you think we can solve that problem? I think I have seen so many of them. Uh, my solution is don't build the report, just build the solution right into the business process or the business operation. That's wow. my way. That's my Absolutely. <laughs> if you I mean that's that's the perfect thing is to you know if you can make it as seamless as possible absolutely okay. but you you could be waiting a long time to get there so maybe along the way you've got to do something a bit clunky mm. um but again so um uh, i talk about you know building in quick wins so your end goal might be building a model into a business process yeah. But to keep the business engaged, you've got to give them little value drops along the way. And a oh. value drop can be something as simple as, hey, we looked at your data, we, we found these three insights and you send them on an email. So, yes. okay, that's not change the business process, but some insight that the management team could potentially work on. Um, you know, and maybe, again, originally insights have to be a little bit clunkily put in, but if you're upfront with the business about, well, how can we make this work for both of us and what mm. does success look like? Um, and, you know, again, success metrics can be really nebulous or huge. We want to make $100 million. That's too hard. Your first success metric could be we want four people using this next, next best action model for a month and we're going to see how that goes. Like, they're the sort of exactly. success metrics I think um, a less mature company should be aiming at when they start off because that's relatively, it, it's, it's, it's achievable. You can put your hands around it. Um, and then when you achieve that, you've got a business person that's agreed to that success metric. So you both can go out and start to evangelize and you can start to scale. So that would definitely be a, a recommendation. Um, is it people trying to look for these little slivers of value maintain that long-term view but what can you be dropping along the way mm, exactly i think that is your uh my true definition of agile uh of delivery uh rather than just following <laughs> the whole framework uh blindly which is about dropping that value how do we make little things happen and yes. before we even try to build the whole thing my question then though is that i think that has been talked so much that has been brought into this, this whole uh, agile framework, but. You're right, it has, but no one's doing it. No one anywhere is doing it without a whole lot of uh, encouragement, you know. Oh. Like, <laughs> or before I, they can adopt this software, agile software on that whole agile meeting or the yeah. agile, don't know what that is. Uh, they can do it, but it seems like it's still falling short. How how can we improve that? Do you think? Hugely. I, look, that I don't know. Other than, um, it, it's having someone with the stakeholder lens, with the with the end user lens on. 
at the big decision points and that doesn't mean every stand up it you know like you know you're supposed to do a showcase to the stakeholder once a fortnight mm. i thought the number of showcases i've been in and i've gone well, where's where's the person from the business nowhere to be seen <laughs> and it's like well guys you're just showing each other code you've you could do that at the pub later um and it's not to say that's not important it's just that um you, you the someone from the business has to be there and if the answer is well the business person got sick of coming because it was boring well then you're not showing anything of value mm. so you know you need to work out why you need to be demonstrating something each time and if you're not then you're working on the wrong stuff and mm. So sometimes I get accused of, oh, it's just marketing, Michaela, and it's not. It's getting your product into the hands of end users. When we're building a model or a dashboard or a data governance tool, we are essentially building a Barbie doll because we're a Barbie doll factory and that Barbie doll isn't worth a cent until it's in the hands of a little girl or a little boy. So the same with what we're doing. It has to get into the hands of a user. And and an end user needs to be there at those big decision points along the way. So spot on. I actually would even use the word of marketing, but I probably would add an additional word in front of it, which is internal marketing. I think the technical user, I myself have experienced that before. I myself have made that sort of mistake before, you know, we're building something so beautiful. People are going to love it. Once we have built it, people are going to adopt it like crazy. We're going to make a billion dollars. But the the truth is, I don't think that the, the the outside, the world of outside of us necessarily understand that. So internal marketing or that whole championship still needs to happen. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's not just about doing some comms once you've built it. It's, right. it, it's about yeah. getting those users in, getting your brave early adopters in when mm. it's still clunky mm. um, and, and then smoothing it out that way because really the only the iphone is a great example of a product that was so intuitive that it did sell itself but pretty much everything we're building inside corporate land is not an iphone um it's not a seamless experience yeah. um and, and so we have to do the work exactly i i want to dive a little bit deeper into that i think to some extent um, some of the engineer, they understand it, but they equally find it challenging to do it. Not everyone is born to be a yep. marketer, a great salesperson. Yep. If you have a great sales salesmanship and if you are a great engineer, those people will do very, very well. Um, and I think that is the reason why they are equally good at the engineering side because they are so focused in terms of uh, getting their heads down and solve the problem. But knowing all of this, how can we help this engineer to go out and champion on the stuff that they do and feel, feel okay to, to <laughs> sell themselves and feel okay to talk the talk? To, 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 to talk like a great marketer. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily think every engineer has to do that. <clears throat> I think, um, but there should be someone on every, we'll call it a product team, mm. that can fulfill that role. Um, but also, I, I think who's ever in charge of that product team, I'll call them the product team, the data and tech people and, and hopefully a business person as well, 
whoever's in charge should say that one of the KPIs is around adoption or usage. It can't just be, hey guys, we're going to consider this a success because you've built it. That that's not enough. One of the KPIs is and people have to be using it. And yeah. um, and that's a big change for a lot of the teams that I've worked with in the past. Um, that their view is, now we build it, we throw it over the fence, not our problem. And once you add in a KPI around adoption um, or usage, it, they're going to have to change their mindset because now they're being measured on it. Mm. So when they're coding, if they're thinking, oh, this is beautiful code, but I'm not sure anyone would ever use it. Well, that's the sort of thinking we, we need to change. So, um, you know, I think of there's engineers listening, thinking, oh, I'm not going to go talk to stakeholders. I don't want to. Well, you don't have to. Um, but it's being mindful that they're there and respecting the person that represents them. So, you know, I don't expect an engineer to do to know every skill set, but they need to respect that I can't code like they can. Ergo, I will you know, respect their coding, they need to respect my stakeholder lens and then we work together. So mm -hmm. I think I think that that's the way that, that can help is that everyone's got a part in producing that product. I'm going to push this even further and I'm going to try something that I have tried outside of the corporate where when I am building the consumer technology or when I'm building the consumer product, one of the lessons that I have learned over the year, equally the mistake that I have made years and years ago is that build it and people will come. That, that was a mistake. Now, instead of build it and people will come, I'm going to try to sell it and get the money in the bank before building it. That sounds easy in the consumer world. Yeah. Uh, you are charging for maybe $30 a month or $100 a month. Uh, not actually, once you cross the hundred dollars a month, it's getting harder. <laughs> but how can we borrow that mindset? Do you think is that possible, even possible at all, to to get the in to 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 bring that concept back to the corporate and do it? So in in a way, it, it, that's kind of what happens in the corporate world, particularly in banking, where we we've got to convince the business to stump up money to build stuff often beforehand mm. before it's even proven and quite frankly the fact that they'll hand over anything is quite amazing but I wonder if maybe what you're talking about is the subscription model and that's mm. not something the corporate world uses it's all like just hand over a wad of cash and we'll waste it all and come back and ask you for some more and you'll probably still not get what you wanted um, but uh, I do wonder about that subscription model how how could that work? But again, I'm thinking on the fly, the subscription model works because the initial investment's made, isn't it? Mm. Someone, someone's built Netflix or they've built ChatGPT or whatever, and, and now people subscribe. So in the corporate world, you know, maybe it's there's this funding to set it up and then yeah. there's a subscription model to use it or to build new products off it. I, I feel like maybe the, the gap is, I think you're like technically they already paid before uh, uh pay for it before uh, the tech team start building it i think where i feel like i was missing in the picture is how we can borrow the same idea, idea the concept and the idea 
but make people to be more invested, make it make the business to be more invested, not just say, hey, here's my, I, I know in the subscription model, you literally have about 40% of the people paying for the subscription and never yeah. use it. Yeah. Um, still, that is a good 60% of the people who are actually really invested on it. So maybe the key is that, what are the, I wonder what are the things that we can borrow? Again, I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> what are the things that we can borrow to make people more invested in, in doing that? Yeah. So if I think about the subscription models, often people invest because, you know, their mates are. Did you see this on Netflix? I haven't got Netflix. I better get Netflix. Maybe that's a bad <laughs> example because Netflix is going down. But, um, you know, I think proving out the success of whatever product you've got will encourage other users. Mm. Um, but uh, the other way in the corporate world is having having a data-driven KPI for every single business unit. So every executive that are, that reports to the CEO, if they've got some kind of, you know, you have to do a data-driven KPI, something to demonstrate how your area is being data-driven, that's also going to force, you know, that would encourage people on a sub subscription mm. model or a funded whatever it is um, because they have to do something to achieve something. Um, I mean, the corporate world's quite simple. People will do what they're measured on and what they're rewarded for. They're not going to do something, even if they know it's the right thing to do. It, it, it's, we, unfortunately, that it, it, that's how they've trained us. We will work to our KPIs. Yeah. So if you're, K, if, yeah, if you've got a KPI that says that you, you know, how much are you using a new strategic data platform or how many ML models you've got, which I think both of those are bad KPIs, um, that, that's going to push the behaviour yes. uh, and want people to be invested. Yeah, I think it's also setting up about that right narrative, which is how are you really solving the customer problem using data? Yeah. That would be the right KPI. Yeah, okay. That that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now for those who are who are getting started or for those who are invest invested deep deep in, in this whole data strategy, AI ML, um, but they are still stuck <laughs> in terms of the adoption. What would be your final uh, comment for that you want to share with them to, to get them moving? Um, it, it start really small. Just find something and commit two weeks to it. Don't say, "Oh, this is going to take a year or three months." No way. It's we're going to do an experiment for two weeks, and let's see what we can get out of it. Um, it it's when you get involved in the funding vortex or you know politics, if you can somehow get out of that. And, and find someone in the business, not your mate in tech, um, <laughs> someone in the business who is excited by this stuff and you get them on board and you do something together and, and you can show it, that would be my best advice for people. Yeah. As a technical people, as a data scientist, I'm going to say something extremely controversial. Forget about all the data tech, make it, make it on Excel spreadsheet, sell the value, prove the case, yes. deliver it, then worry about the data. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I agree. 
I, I agree. It's what's the easiest way to do this? Mm. Um, I mean, dashboards, executives love a dashboard, you know, because often they, they're still having to call up someone every time they want a figure. You give them a dashboard that updates automatically, they're going to think you're amazing. Meanwhile, you're like, mate, that's completely kindergarten, but you got to get them to kindy before they can get to junior high. <laughs> now, before we move on to the, uh, the final two questions, is there anything else that you would like to share? Uh, no, no, I think you've done a really good job of just pulling out all my experience today, Jason. It's fantastic. Thank you. It's been really fun <laughs> to talk about, and I, um, I hope people you know, get something out of the conversation. Thank you. Now, these are my two final questions that I've got for you. The first one first, what is your most important first principle? So um, in a work life, it is what's the purpose of this? And if it's a meeting, what's the purpose of this? And do I need to be here? So um, I'm very like objective focused what are we really trying to do here let's just do that and, and not get blinded by the pretty stuff on the way mm. and what is one book that you have read and thought it would have been better for your younger self to have so this book is it's a fairly recent book so i couldn't have read it when i was younger but i wish i had if it'd been available there's a book called can't hurt me by david goggins I and uh, yeah so he's not a data guy but he it's the power of the mind but again not in a guru way but in a someone who's come from a terrible terrible background and who's absolutely um done amazing things and transformed his body and his mindset and so many triathletes i know have read his book and gone on to do amazing things because you see pain in a very different way than you did before so can't hurt me by david goggins if you don't like swearing do not pick up the book <laughs> I listened to the audiobook version and I think the part where he um, do the narrative, uh, do, the, do, the, do the whole audio part, uh, there are bits and pieces that he did by himself. I think it really adds another uh, level into that. Really yes. It's like an audiobook and a mini podcast after each chapter yeah. and it's amazing. It is, yeah, amazing. I recommended for everyone of every age. Very good. I, I so agree. I really love that one as well. Now, thank you so much, Mikila. Um, it has been so wonderful to talk about a different lens in the world of the data. I think we, we all can get so excited about the data, the tech. Equally, we all can get so excited about the business, but how do we bring those two things together? Um, that is what matter. And I think yeah. that we cover a lot. Uh, in this conversation. So thank you Great. so much. Thank you. Thanks. Lovely to um, chat. Talk soon. Hello. If you enjoyed this conversation, hit the subscribe button so we can meet again. If you don't, I'll be stuck in an infinite loop. So pull that part by clicking the subscribe and help me out. You can further support us by leaving us a kind review from wherever you are listening. At the end of the year, I will choose a reviewer to send a special gift to and it might just be you look forward to seeing you here next week for a new adventure if i can find my way out of this endless loop see ya